It's because of the subject matter and all that there is to discuss. But we'll go as far as we can tonight, as far as the Lord will allow us. In fact, honestly, in going back over my notes again, I just started feeling some things that I, I think may sidetrack me a little bit from the main focus of where I was hoping to go tonight. So we're just going to let the Lord have his way tonight and, and uh, let the Lord talk to us. Would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we will start with verse number 16, and we'll go through verse 23, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and uh, starting with verse 16 and then reading. down through the end of that chapter. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 16. Know ye not that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy which temple you are. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, for it is written, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, that they are vain. Therefore let no man glory in men, for all things are yours whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life, of the mighty God in Christ. Amen. But it is significant that the apostle says in verse 23, you are Christ's. You belong to Christ. Christ is God's. He is obviously showing a connection between the kind of submission that Christ the man had to the spirit that indwelt him and the submission we ought to have to Christ. We are Christ's in the same way that Christ is God's. That is the conclusion of the matter that he began here in verse 16 when he said, you are the temple of God. You are the temple of God. The spirit of God dwells in you. Just as Christ was the temple of God, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, right? Christ, the man, was the walking, talking temple of the Most High God. The omnipotent, omniscient, omnipowerful Spirit dwelt within that body. And that body was his temple. It was his tabernacle. It was the place where the Spirit of God dwelt. And Paul says, Now, you are God's temple. You are God's tabernacle. You are the place where the Spirit of God inhabits. He dwells within you. You need to be careful as to how you deal with that housing. 
what you do with that temple. Well, hallelujah. I know you're standing, but, but look, I, I know, I know, and again, I, I, I hit on this somewhat Sunday morning. We get so carried away and caught up in the world's terminology and, and the Christian world's theology, really. We adopt so many things that they tell us because it sounds good. One of the things that I'm afraid we've gone overboard in is, is in saying, well, you know, God's, the church is not this building. And, and that's true. The church is not this building. When I say we've gone overboard, what I'm afraid we've done, Brother Hilton, is we have therefore neglected our respect for this building. By using that kind of phraseology, we forget how God felt about the temple, the building, the structure. When Jesus walked in early in his ministry, and saw the money changers. He didn't say, oh, well, it's just a building. This is not the church. Right? No, he said, this is God's house. And what's in it right now is not what ought to be in God's house. And then at the end of his ministry, after the triumphal entry, he walks back into that same building and does the same thing again. Stressing the fact that his attitude about that building hadn't changed. That building had been dedicated to God. Don't let there be found in my house practices that are displeasing to me. And Paul comes along and says, listen, he's not, dis he's, he's not in any way trying to take away from the value of the building. But he said, you've got to understand, your body has become God's temple. It too was dedicated to God at an old-fashioned altar in repentance. It's not yours. It doesn't belong to you. It's God's. And God wants to make sure that what is in his house is what pleases him. Well, hallelujah. And so tonight I'm going to I'm going to at least start start into a lesson that I am simply calling a clean temple a clean temple know ye not that you are the temple of God the spirit of God dwelleth in you and if any man defile the temple of God him shall God destroy for the temple of God is holy which temple ye are praise God amen would you put your Bibles down and let's Let's talk to the Lord together, everybody. I really feel like God wants to speak to us tonight. Amen. Let's open our hearts. Let's open our minds. Let's let the Lord have his way with us. Everybody, let's talk to him right now. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God, praise God. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Again, I just want to open this lesson tonight by stressing to you
that once God claims ownership of something, then he becomes very protective of that. It's interesting when you start reading through the first uh, five books of the Old Testament, how much of that. Now, uh, really, it begins in Exodus where he starts talking about it, but from Exodus on, it's amazing to stop and realize how much of those portions of Scripture contain very explicit instructions concerning the tabernacle, the place where God's Spirit would dwell just on a temporary basis. This was just a tent. Our King James Bible uses the word tabernacle, but but it really, it was a tent is what it was. A tent made out of animal skins. And yet God was so careful and cautious and protective and explicit in his instructions about the care of that tent and what was to go on inside that tent and what was to go on around that tent. Well, hallelujah. What was to be the attitude of the people toward that tent? Even though God didn't live inside that tent, he would meet with his high priest there. His glory hovered over it, and it was God's property. Inside that tent was a very special piece of furniture known as the Ark of the Covenant. That, their wingtips touching as they looked down upon that mercy seat. And and on the inside of that, uh, originally there was that miracle bread God had provided and the tables of stone that had God's law and Aaron's rod that showed God's favor upon a particular man and a tribe. And, And that ark, that ark was something that God became extremely protective of. Now it was an ark made by man's hands but it was dedicated to the service of God. And it was something used in the work of God. Are you hearing me tonight? There the blood would be sprinkled and there atonement would be made. I'm telling you that God saw that as his own. And it becomes clear that you are not to just treat that box any old way. Let the Philistines get a hold of it and God smites them. He put a plague on them. For what reason? Because they had that sacred property. Let, let Uzzah come along and put his hand out to steady that box. And when he tried to touch it against God's orders, God smote him dead. Now, now church, look, I don't intend for this to be a, a deep, dark, heavy lesson, but I do want there to be enough heaviness about it that somehow we get a revelation of anything God claims as his property gone until he called for the vessels that had come out of God's house. And he started using them for his own pleasure. And it was at that moment that the fingers of a man's hand appeared and began to write upon the wall. Hallelujah. When God 
God says that's mine. We better take another look at what we do with it. How we treat it. How we handle it. Well, praise God. When God lays claim to it, we don't have a choice. Not one time did God ever tell those priests, now you take care of this the best you can. You decide what needs to happen here. Now, you know, you, you, just, you just really, no, God gave them very explicit instructions because he laid claim to it. Listen, church, once God says it's mine, we'd better be careful trying to put our hand on something that's God's. And this is another lesson for another time. Uh, you know, there's not, there's not a whole lot of things that God just said, that's mine. I claim it exclusively. There are some things that are exclusively his. The glory is his. Everything that was made was made for his glory. That's why when Nebuchadnezzar walks around saying, is this not great Babylon that I have built, that God sends judgment upon him. Nobody, and listen, that's why Paul also warned the church that no flesh should glory in his presence. I don't have time to get off into every little rabbit trail that comes to my mind. No flesh ought to glory in God's presence. Hallelujah. And I, I've, well, I, I got to get off that, but I've seen way too much people seeking glory and what they're doing. And God says, that's mine. Vengeance, he says, is his. Did you hear me? So when somebody does you wrong and you decide you're going to get even, you better understand you're trampling God's property. Vengeance is his. I, 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 need, I need to take, you need to write this down. I need to just teach a lesson on this sometime. You just need to remind me that I said I'd do it, but I need to teach a lesson sometime on the things that are God's. Vengeance is his. The glory is his. The ministry is his. It's his. It's, it's, it's his. And, and that's why he said, touch not mine anointed. And neither do my prophets any harm. Because that, that belongs to him. And, and look, he knows how to deal with ministry that goes astray. He really does. Ask Nadab and Abihu. The interesting thing about that is that God, God, how can I say this? God zapped him. <laughs> I mean, he zapped him. But, but when he got through zapping them, the garments were still in place. God dealt with the man but did not touch the office. And I'm telling you, we as human beings can't make that kind of distinction. God has claimed that the tithe is his. It's his. So, so we, don't, we don't have the right to sit down and say, I can't afford it this month. There's no, there's no question with... with um, a huge sack of bubble gum. And, and I may think, you know, you, you've got bills to pay. You've got, you got important things to do. What are you wasting all your money on bubble gum? I, I may not like it, but, but I really have no business telling him how to spend his money. I can offer advice. I can try to help him. And if that's what he's doing, he needs some help. 
but it's his money. And you don't want somebody to sit down when you get your paycheck and tell you what you can and can't do with your money. And I'm telling you, the first tenth of whatever you earn is not yours, it's God's. And so you don't get to decide what's going to happen to that. Because it's not yours. Well, once God claims something, God becomes very protective. God becomes very exclusive on what is his. Well, hallelujah. And I'm telling you tonight, based on our text, that you belong to God. You are his property. Let's read again 1 Corinthians 3, um, verse 16. This is actually 16 and 17. I think it says more than that on there, but it's just 16 and 17. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God? You are the temple of God. And that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. So here's, here's what I'm telling you. When, when the Philistines took possession of the ark, God plagued them because those things, that, that ark had been made holy unto God. When, when, when Belshazzar was judged that night, and that very night his kingdom was overthrown, that very night, I want you to see God is very jealous about his property, and he will not condone the abuse of what's his. He just won't. Now, let's, let's go to 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20. What? Know ye not? Know ye not your body that your body is the temple, is the of, temple the of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which, is in you, which, ye have which you have from God, and ye are not and your own. And you are not your own. For ye are bought with you a price. You are bought with a price. Therefore, Therefore glorify, God glorify God in your body and in your spirit, and in your spirit which are God's. Which are God's. Now, now listen to me, church. I want you to understand. We think of this as our bodies. But the fact of the matter is, our bodies were purchased at Calvary. They were bought and paid for to become a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit of God. Hallelujah. They're his. They belong to him. And therefore we have an obligation. That in our body and in our spirit. We need to seek to glorify the owner. Hallelujah. We need to seek to glorify the one who purchased our bodies. God is so serious about this. He is so serious about this to do. But he's protective of his property. Well... And we need to understand that these bodies of ours, they belong to God. And I'm going to tell you, now again, this is New Testament scripture, all right? We're, we're not going and pulling some obscure passage out of the Old Testament. 
that people seem to think there was a different mentality that God possessed in the Old Testament. It's not true, but people seem to think that way. So when you read some some statement of judgment issued by God in the Old Testament, people can just kind of fling it off. But I'm reading to you the writings of an inspired apostle as he spoke to a New Testament, one God, Jesus name, apostolic, tongue-talking church. And God said to that church, if you defile my temple, I'll destroy you. This is serious business. This is serious business. Hallelujah. This is serious business. We have got to ask ourselves. He said, if any man defiles the temple. So the question ought to immediately come to mind. How could I defile this temple? What things could I do that would become a defilement? To the temple of God. Is defilement strictly a spiritual thing? Or is it possible that I could defile it in physical ways? Well, now the scope of the Apostle Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 6 is that the temple is defiled by moral impurity. And I fully intend to take at least one night and deal with that alone. We're, we're going to talk about it. I'm telling you, if there's ever been an hour when preachers need... And I, I'm telling you, we're bombarded with it from sun up to sundown. Somebody has got to get up and deal with it. And I intend to. And that was really what Paul was talking about for the most part. In fact, let's, let's read some more. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, back up to verse 15 and, and read the verses prior to uh, what, what we read here. He said, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which you have of God, you're not your own, you're bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit which are God's. But let's read the verses leading up to that. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 15 through 18. Know ye not that your bodies are the members your of Christ? Your bodies are the members of Christ. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not? Don't you know that he which is joined, which to, is joined to a is harlot one is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. Uh-huh. But he that is joined to, but the, he Lord, that is joined the, Lord, to the Lord is one, is one spirit. spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. Now, 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 Lord, I, I, don't, I don't have time to go into everything. But again, here, here's a little tradition that has made its way. It's come from, from secular Christianity, if I could use that terminology. That's, I don't know what, any other way to put it. But, but it's come from, from the denominal world. But apostolics have bought into it. And, and that is the idea that all sin is sin. It's just all the same. It's all the same. I'm here to tell you that's not true. It's not true. Sounds logical. But right here in this verse, if you look at it, Paul is making a clear distinction. Every sin a man doeth is with her there is a sin unto death. There's a sin that's not unto death. Not all sin is the same. Now, all sin can cause you to be lost. But I'm telling you, the ramifications, the effects of, of some sins are greater than others. Doesn't mean some sins are okay. Don't misinterpret what I'm telling you. 
But I'm telling you that there are sins we can commit that the long lasting effect is far worse than others. And so we can't just say all sin is sin. In fact, not every sin is classified as an abomination. There are some sins that God hates so much, they make him sick. He detests those things so much. That's right. Not every sin is an abomination. But some are. And that's another lesson I need to teach sometime. I I need to just take you through the things that are abominations. Of course, you know, some of this you could do on your own. Witchcraft is an abomination to God. It's something God absolutely detests. And that's why we shouldn't be looking at horoscopes. We need to be careful what we bring into our homes. What we're reading. What, because, because there are some things that God finds detestable. Well, homosexuality is an abomination to God. It's an abomination. God detests it. And, and again, I know, I know this is not, this is not politically correct. Because, you know, the, the denominal mindset is, well, you know, yes, homosexuality is bad and so is fornication. And, and as different from a lot of other sins. But I'm just telling you, even that doesn't fall into the category of abomination. But homosexuality does. It's, it's a little heavier than what I hoped it would be here tonight. I... I, uh, I heard about a pastor that... He, he became pastor of a church filled with sin and, and it was filled with homosexuality. And as he started preaching and he started trying to follow the Holy Ghost, it was like one after another coming into his office and confessing they'd been involved in homosexuality and he was just, he was just getting so sickened by it. And, and uh, this went on for months, for months. Finally, one man said, I, I need to talk to you, Pastor. And he went into the office and, and the pastor's just bracing himself. And the man said, and this is a true story. This is not a joke. It's a true story. The man said, Pastor, I've, I've got something to confess to you. And the pastor thought, oh no, not another one. And the man said, I've been involved in adultery. And the pastor jumped up and said, well, thank God. Thank God. Uh, I, uh, you know, I don't know. I've never been in that situation, but, but I am telling you, there is a difference, church. There is a difference. Not all sin is categorized the same way. None of it's good. And any of it can cause us to be lost. But I'm just telling you, God doesn't look at it all the same. And so not everything falls in that category. Witchcraft, homosexuality, bestiality. Women wearing that which pertains to a man. Not a man's clothing. God was very careful. We'll get on that. 
God was very careful in the way he worded the scripture. He didn't say for a woman to wear a man's clothing, but he said for a woman to wear what pertains to a man. God put that in the same category as witchcraft, bestiality, and homosexuality. Same category. That's why I don't, I don't, I don't understand. I don't understand current trends where women want to try to find some way to get around this age-old standard we have held. Well, these are not really pants, but they look like it. You know, if God hates something that bad, I hope you're hearing me tonight. If God feels that strongly about something, I don't want to get anywhere near it. I don't want to justify something. If God feels that strongly about it, I want to stay as far away as I can. Of course, you know, this might be a good time. I'm not going to get through this lesson. It might be a good time to go to Proverbs chapter 6. That's not in your notes, so, but it is in your Bible. Comes right after Psalms. Well, chapter 6 doesn't, but Proverbs does. And uh, verse 16, what, is, what does that say? These six things yeah. doth the Lord hate. Now listen, these six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. Seven are what? An abomination. An abomination. Now God says, God says, here, God, God calls witchcraft an abomination. He calls homosexuality, but he didn't put that here. The first thing on God's list of what he really hates, he hates a proud look. Sounds to me like he evidently hates that worse than he hates homosexuality. What else does he hate? A lying tongue. A lying tongue. Oh. I want to be careful that I tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Amen. What else? And hands that shed hands that blood. shed innocent blood. Listen, 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 listen. I'm going to tell you, when we start gossiping, we start shedding blood verbally and destroying people's character with our words. We're getting into some dangerous territory in God's eyes. What else? I got to hurt. This is, not, this is not even part of my lesson, but. And heart that deviseth a wicked heart imaginations. That's devising wicked imaginations. I've met one or two folks like that, that they just, they think of things I, I could never. I've, I've, I've had to deal with situations that I'm sitting there scratching my head saying, I would never think to do something like that. Where do these ideas come from? There's a heart that's just devising wicked imaginations. What else? Feet that, Feet that are swift, swift to, run to, to run to mischief. God hates it. God hates it. He hates it. Read. A false witness that speaketh lies. Well, now that's interesting. Because he's already said a lying tongue. Does anybody see something here? God says, I want to tell you the seven things I hate worse than anything. Seven things at the top. That's why, listen, church. That's why we've got to be careful. And, and I mean this. I mean this. We've got to be careful in how we tell things, how we say things. Because there are people who can justify in their minds their presentation because technically they didn't lie. 
but they certainly lead you to believe something different than the truth. Oh, I did not intend for it to go this direction tonight, but the Lord knows, the Lord knows, he knows. I, um, Do you, do you understand how much God hates lies? Understand how much he hates it? Now, now, look, God is truth. He's not just love, he's truth, right? He is truth. The Bible says it's impossible. Now, now look, God is love, but the Bible does not say it's impossible for God to hate. Because there are things God hates. God is truth, and he is so much truth that it's impossible for him to lie. Now, so if God cannot lie, where do lies come from? Well, Jesus told us, didn't he? Jesus said the devil is a liar and what? What? He's the father of all. Every lie that is told is a child of the devil. Oh, it's quiet tonight. Why aren't you running the aisles tonight? Why, why ain't anybody... Every lie that is told is a child of the devil. So again, we get back to the whole gossip thing. See, if you don't know that it's the truth, because you may be handling the devil's offspring. And look, look, church, I'm going to tell you, the devil is a liar and he is the father of all lies. And, and you hear me, the way that he gets many people to backslide is by planting one of his offspring in their minds. He puts a lie in their minds. Are you hearing me? That's what he does, Brother Hilton. He knows how to get a lie into their minds and then that lie becomes their consuming thought. So-and-so doesn't like me. Somebody in the church is out to get me. That pastor is just, he, he just, he, he's against me. And some lie will go into a person's mind Now, I hesitate to even say it this way because I'm totally against abortion, physical sense. But I'm going to tell you, spiritually, the devil puts one of those babies in your mind, it needs to be aborted immediately. You need to do something about it immediately because the longer you let that thing live in your mind, the bigger it becomes and the more controlling it becomes. Until every time you walk through the church doors, it's all you can think of. It's all you can focus on. Doesn't matter how strong the spirit of God is in that service. All you can think about is that lie. And it consumes you. And it takes over. And if nothing else, if nothing else, it will starve you out spiritually because you're not getting anything from God. Nobody can convince them otherwise. It doesn't matter. Listen, I've, I've seen this at work. I, I, many, many years ago, another place, another city, another state. So nobody that any of you know, except my wife. Um, elderly couple. 
sweet folks really, went by to see them one day and they started telling me what a terrible guy I was. And they said, said you know, said, you, you, won't, you won't visit people when they're in the hospital. I said, really? You all have been in the hospital several times. Has there ever been a time I didn't visit? Oh no, you've always come to see us. Okay, what other complaints have you got? Well, everybody says you're not friendly. Really? Has there ever been a time I wasn't friendly to you? No, no, you've always been friendly to us, but, but you're not friendly to others. And they went through a whole litany of things that they believed with all their heart, even though when I confronted them with their own experience, their own experience could not convince them of the truth. Are you hearing me? There was no showing them what was right because that lie had so gripped their minds that no amount of truth could get through. There's the danger. This is why God hates lies. This is why two out of seven things that God really despises are lies. And listen, listen. When it's the devil's property and you're entertaining it. You're not going to cast that thing out. I can't cast it out. I can't rebuke it and chase it off. If you've made a home for it. You're going to have to deal with it. You're going to have to get rid of it. Well. Well. Jesus help me. I, I didn't intend to go into any of this tonight. This is not, if you're just telling, and I honestly, I've met people that, that I've said, I really believe that they would rather climb a tree and tell a lie than stand on the ground and tell the truth. I, I've met a few people like that. Um, and, and God hates a lying tongue. But here specifically, God really hates when you're lying about someone else. That's what a false witness is. You're claiming someone did something, said something, acted in some way that they did not. And God hates this because you're destroying an individual. This is not just, you know, you, you can lie about things and, and, and there are those that will just lie to get themselves out of trouble. You know, they know they're going to get in trouble if they tell the truth, so they just find a way to lie about it. And, 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 and God hates that. But he wants to come back and make sure you know he really hates when your lying is not just hurting you. It's hurting someone else. God really hates that. And what else? He that discord among brethren. Isn't it amazing how much of this really is accomplished most of the time through gossip? I mean, we almost could just take this whole passage and say, this one thing doth the Lord hate. <laughs> because sowing discord among brethren, again, it's, it's usually caused. When you're sowing discord, it's usually by putting thoughts in people's heads to turn them against one another. That's right. God hates it. And look, here's the thing. Sometimes sowing discord is not through telling lies. Sometimes it's through telling something you know to be the truth. Right? If I... If I happen to stumble across some weakness that, that Andrew's got. I may know it to be a fact. I can take that fact, which is absolute truth, and tell it to enough people that they'll spreading truth. God doesn't want me sowing discord. Listen, listen, I've, I've got to, I've got to, Lord, I didn't, I didn't want to do this. Um, I'm not obviously not going to get to where I wanted to go tonight. We'll, we'll do it another night, but while we're here, 
this is this is one of the big dangers of social media. Because you let somebody become disgruntled, and you know what they're going to do? They're going to spend their life trying to sow as much discord as they possibly can. They're not content to just walk away and leave it alone. They want to get everybody else mad with them, upset with them, hurt with them. right it's it's the absolute truth and social media just provides that kind of platform now listen I'm, I'm saying all that really more as a warning than anything else because I really think at least I, I may be I may be wrong but it's been a long time since I've seen this church do that um Back in the early days of social media, I did see several times when saints within a church would get upset at each other and go right to Facebook and post. They may not call a name, but they told the details of the fight they were having. And I don't understand why Christians got to act this way. I said, you know, all you're doing is destroying the church. You're making the church look bad. Not... Thank God, I haven't. If you've been doing it, I hadn't seen it. You've hidden it from me or something. I thank God I haven't seen that going on. But I'm just, I'm just telling you one thing. I do know when it comes to disgruntles, when it comes to backsliders, one of the first things they do is they unfriend me and my wife, so they can say what they want to say and we don't see it. So it probably goes on, and I just don't experience it. I'm just telling you, church, even, even if what? So, I mean, I have to teach a lesson on abominations. I've, I think I've done a fairly thorough job of it tonight. <laughs> and that's not even where I wanted to go tonight. But it is part of having a clean temple because this body of ours, that includes our tongue. It includes what we say. And, and look, th- this is not my property. It's God's. And if somebody mistreats me, they're mistreating God's property. And that's why I'm going to let God handle the vengeance part of it. You know, I've, I've said this before, but it bears repeating. It, it really appears to me that one of the greatest Character traits of David. And I think, personally, my opinion, one of the reasons why he was called a man after God's own heart is because it appears to me that David, he may not have had a verbal covenant, but but looking at his life, it appears that he lived by the principle that if they want to attack me, I'll let God deal with it. But if they're going to attack God and his people, I'm going to deal with it. That's, that's, that's why when he got out there and saw everybody cowering before Goliath, he said, is there not a cause? And yet, they can come out and curse David and throw stones at him. And David's men say, let, it, let me just go and cut his head off. And David said, no, no, no. God may know that I need this right now. I, in other words, I'm going to let God defend my name or not defend it. That's, that's his business. I'll let God decide what I need in my life. And right now, I may need somebody to bring me down. God may see, you know, <laughs> what, a, what, a, what a unique mindset. I, I may need to be brought down. So I'm not going to fight it. I'm going to let God do what he wants to do. Now, I don't think Paul knew that in the beginning. I think that's what Paul got out of the word God gave him. This was so you don't get exalted above measure, Paul. And that was evidently David's attitude. God may know that I need. I mean, this man was cursing him. David said, Maybe that's what I need right now. 
I'll let God decide that. But boy, you better not speak against God. Don't, don't, don't speak against God because David's coming after you if you do. This is, this is the way we ought to feel about all of this. This is, this is God's property here. So I'm going to let God defend it. But I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to protect. I'm going to protect what's on the inside. I'm, I'm going to protect that which belongs to him by the attitude, the spirit, my activities, my actions, my words, my thoughts, what I read, what I listen to, who I interact with, who I fellowship. Everything about my life, this is not mine, it's his. And so, and so if he expresses that he doesn't like certain modes of dress, then I'm going to dress the way he wants because this is not my body to dress. Right? If, if, if he expresses there's certain things he doesn't want me to look at, then I'm not going to look at those things because these are not my eyes to control. They belong to him. If there's certain things I shouldn't be listening to, I'm just not going to listen to them because these ears belong to him. If there are things I don't need to be saying, were those little cups that Belshazzar had? I mean, really, in the, in the big scheme of things, what, what's a cup? Right? I mean, what difference does it make? A cup! To God, it made a lot of difference because that cup was his. And it wasn't to be used for drunkenness and partying. It was his to be used in his service. And church, I've got to quit. My, my time is, in fact, passed up. And I didn't, I got a page and a half out of 10 pages of notes. Um, if my body belongs to God, then, then that's going to control a lot of things in my life. Because it's not mine to decide. I, I want to make sure I, I haven't been given ownership, but I've been given stewardship of this body. You understand? There's a difference. I'm not an owner. I'm a steward. And I want to make sure that the places I go and the things I get involved in are pleasing to the owner. Well, hallelujah. I think I've mentioned this before probably the worst introduction I've ever had as a preacher when I was in college and I was preaching in a fairly new church it had not been in operation for very many years and the man who started the church was still there as pastor and I was there attending the church as a college student. We, our college required that we attend a different church every three months. This man, the founder, the pastor, asked me if I would preach. And um, I agreed, and that Sunday night when he got ready to turn the pulpit over to me, he said, you know, man has a brand new car he gets real nervous when somebody else drives it 
And then he turned it over to me to preach. Well, my response was this. You don't have to worry, my brother. Because if I'm driving somebody else's new car, I'm nervous. And I'm going to be extremely cautious. A lot more so than if it was mine. That's just the way I do things. I'm going to take a lot of care if it's somebody else's that I might not if it's my own. My point is this. This body, this body is God's. And we need to be careful. And we need to be cautious. And we need to protect what is His. I'll get into I'll get into more specifics in the next lesson, Lord willing. Just 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 know that we, we we've got to be careful that we don't abuse this temple. Well, hallelujah. We gotta be careful that we don't abuse this temple because it's not ours. And I want him to be pleased with my stewardship of his possession. Let's stand tonight. Let's lift our hands to the Lord. Let's talk to him right now. Let's let's talk to him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.